Mingalaba, for any Burmese language speakers tuning in today, we wanted to let you know that our Better Burma mission has launched three Burmese language podcasts, Myanmar Revolutionary Tales, Dark Era of Burma, and Myanmar Peace, Women, and Security. These programs can be found on our website as well as on any of your preferred podcast platforms. We invite you to take a listen. But for now, let's get on with this episode. Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about a very sobering topic. Uh, of course, we're all familiar with the phenomenal loss of life and of property that uh, has befallen the people of Myanmar. And a very important issue to discuss is the means by which we can hope to seek reparations for the victims of these crimes. And to discuss this issue with us today, we are joined by Hanji, who is a coordinator at ND Burma. So, Hanji, I'd like to invite you to introduce yourself for our audience and also to introduce uh, ND Burma, who you are and, and what you do. Uh, thank you. My name is Hanji, uh, coordinator of the ND Burma. Uh, firstly, I would like to talk brief about Nawat for Human Rights Documentation Burma, ND Burma. Uh, Andy Burma established in year 2004, along the time Burma border. Uh, we are focusing on human rights documentation, uh, where our member organization based across the country. Uh, some members are based in active conflict areas, some are in ceasefire areas and main cities. After the uh, military failed coup in 2021, now, a dying country is a conflict area. Now we have 13 member organizations uh, which are diverse in their representation, including ethnic youth, women, and issue-based organizations. We uh, Andy Burma has two main goals for human rights documentation in the short term we plan to advocate for accountability for victims of state-sponsored violations in the long term, uh, using our data as evidence to seek justice, truth, and reparations through transitional justice mechanism. To reach uh, those goals, we have three main programs, trainees, data management, and advocacy. Uh, now, I would like to focus on the uh, training. Uh, we conduct the human rights documentation training for free researchers 
who documents the violation on the ground. Uh, normally, we conduct basic human rights documentation training, uh, mainly, mainly focus on methodology of documentation process, such as finding the information type of evidence, gathering evidence, interview with victims, survival witness, and analyze of the documentation. Uh, in advanced level, we more focus on atrocity of state sponsor and non-state actor abuse, analyze of international crimes such as war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide, and international accountability mechanisms such as independent investigative mechanism for Myanmar, the YWM, ICC, ICJ, University uh, Jurisdiction. Also, we conduct the uh, transition adjusted training and how documentation process contribute to uh, transition adjusted initiatives. Now, we also share our information to the YWM, UN agency and national unity government, NUG for advocacy and accountability purpose. Okay, so that's quite a lot um, right there. So let's move forward to specifically the, uh, the, the reparations component. You've been working on this for, for quite some time now. What, uh, what was the motivation for for focusing on reparations uh one uh national league for democracy landslide victory in 2015 elections and took the office in myanmar uh, we start to think about implement some kind of transition justice initiatives and are the uh, civilian governments uh, we see reparation is as the entry point to implement the uh, transition adjusted issue. And if the government initiates reparations program implement, that would be uh, helpful for the victims of human rights violation and support for a uh, national reconciliation process. Uh, along the over 17 years civil war in Myanmar, uh, both political prisoner and conflict affected survivors never receive the justice they are seeking and holding perpetrator accountability. Uh, they have been suffering impact of the human rights violations too much along the ongoing civil war. That's why we start to think about reparation uh, projects. So, so this is quite interesting. So you, you began uh, at, at the very beginning of the NLD period to look at the reparations process. Between that, say 2016, the NLD government actually went to Naypyidaw. So between that 2016, 2021, did you receive any uh, support from the NLD government or, or was there opposition or were you ignored? Was there any success? What was it like for that five year period? Uh, during this period, uh, we see only the uh, civil society initiative uh, transition adjusted uh, uh, implementation, uh, like uh, memorial support for the uh, 
former political prisoner and their families. So that's why we try to encourage and advocate to the NLD government to work on the uh, reparation project. That's why we start to uh, establish the reparation working group in 2015, uh, which is combination of the Andy Bama and other CSO, which are interested in reparation issue. Uh, the RWG conduct first ever written needs assessment campaign for a government uh, reparation program. So if if the coup had not happened in 2021, um, how far do you think you would be with the reparation process right now? Would we be in a position where a civilian government would be uh, attempting to compensate the the victims of the military's crimes, or would that still be far in the future? Yeah, I will let you explain a little bit about the what we were working on the uh, reparation project uh, after we established the uh, reparation working group. Uh, firstly, even we understand the uh, concept of the uh, transitional justice, uh, when we start to work and focus on the reparation project, uh, we build the capacity of more understanding about reparation issue uh, through the workshops facilitated by expertise from other countries, such as Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and Philippines. Uh, based on other country experience, we decide and focus on the uh, survivors groups and range of humorous violations they had suffered. So survivors of former political prisoner, conflict survivors, and landcraft victims, and had suffered range of violations, including arbitrary arrest, torture, killing, disappearance, rape, forced relocation, and arbitrary taxation. Then we interview conduct with victims of humorous violation between 2017 and 2018. Uh, we conduct interview in 11 states and regions, uh, such as Yaori, Magui, Zakai, Kalindari, Yango, and Bago region, and also Shan, Chin, Kachin, and more states. Uh, final stage, uh, we are able to select 111 cases, 85 cases related to conflict victims, 13 to land grab victims, and 30 to former political prisoners. Uh, most of the uh, violations were carried out by Tamino, now military gender. Uh, when we conduct the interview, Few researchers ask victims about the uh, humorous violation they suffered, what the uh, physical, psychological, social, and economic impact had been, and what they would like to see from perpetrators and the government to help them uh, build their lives. Uh, according to interview, we see impact of the violations uh, in almost every single case, 
the victim said their lives had been negatively impacted. Victims uh, often suffer multiple consequences as a result of the violation, including economic hardship, health problems, victims of their children having to drop out of education. Then we collect the uh, victim's desire. Uh, the most common desire for justice was in institutional reform for guarantee of non-recurrence. Uh, victims separately ask for either formal guarantees of non-recurrence or some form of governmental reform to prevent state and insurgent violence. Uh, many victims ask for some form of symbolic satisfaction to make them feel like they had received justice. Uh, this includes public and or private acknowledgement on the part of the uh, perpetrators, apologies, or to receive the remains of those killed and disappeared. Uh, victims frequently ask for compensation to help them overcome the uh, negative consequence of human rights violations. Uh, victims often ask for restitution of their situation to what it was before the human rights violation took place. So they specify return of their lands, property, release of the relative wrongly imprisoned, or full restoration of their civil and political rights. Uh, many victims ask for justice, but they avoid low levels of confidence in the uh, domestic legal system. Then we start the policy advocacy because of our objectives to implement reparation projects is campaigning for a government reparation program. Uh, firstly, we launched the report in uh, October 2018 in Django and advocacy to uh, government and member of parliaments in Navida for several times and uh, 2020 February when COVID-19 outbreak in Myanmar. Uh, we halt the advocacy during the pandemic, then military faith group in 2021. So here I would like to uh, explain a little bit about advocacy experience. Uh, we received positive feedback from member of parliaments from both lower and upper house. Uh, Sometimes we officially met with the uh, MPs from several parliamentary committees in the parliament. And sometimes we invite MPs from various parties uh, outside of the parliament as informal discussion about reparation issue, finding and recommendation of reparations report. Uh, when we met with MPs informally, we also invite some expertise from other countries to share their experience campaign for reparations for victims of human rights violation in their country. Uh, when we met with the MBs in the parliament, uh, according to 2008 constitution and formation of parliamentary committee, uh, each of the committee has at least 
one representative from military. Uh, when we explain about reparations report, victims need assessment, victims desire and recommendation, uh, including how they had been endured the violations mostly committed by military. Then military representative from the uh, committee uh, strongly rejects and give negative uh, response to to the information in the report. Mm. So this yeah, is uh, uh, if we can continue. Yeah. Uh, campaign, policy uh, advocacy at the uh, Navy law and civilian governments. Maybe we will reach some uh, stage when the uh, MPs and the uh, government officer more understand the uh, reparation, why they need to work on the reparation on behalf of the uh, 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 perpetrator who did wrong in the past, then uh, they can uh, uh, implement the uh, uh, reparation process, maybe uh, uh, start to discuss, dis discussing in the parliament and, and uh, try to pass the bill. If we continue uh, uh, after 2020, yeah? Right. So I, want, I just want to jump back a little bit because what you're talking about with regard to the military having a negative reaction to accusations of military crimes, mm -hmm. that is something that we've seen a lot. This, this is a very uh, recurring motif in, in Myanmar politics. Mm -hmm. We have very clear cases of the military carrying out arson, murder, torture, rape, theft, many, 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 many crimes. And the problem that we often have is that it's very difficult to prove them because the military often operates in the border regions. They don't always have access to electricity. They don't always have access to the internet. Uh, they may not have access to reliable policing, reliable courts, and they would have to complain to the commander of a military base and, and accuse the soldiers of committing a crime, which would be very dangerous for a lot of these civilians to do. So I'm wondering how you've managed to, to deal with this uh, uh, problem. How do you collect evidence that the military has committed a crime? And when you do have evidence, how do you approach the military to say that the military should acknowledge uh, what they did? Yeah, normally we uh, always focus on the uh, written uh, approach. Mm -hmm. So when we see the uh, some incident happening in some particular areas, uh, we conduct the uh, interview testimony with the victims, uh, survivors, and the witness. So they can tell their, their story, their experience, how uh, they have been violent, like torture, uh, like arbitrary arrest, uh, uh, forced labor, forced relocation, uh, 
but the problem is the most of the uh, violation happening in the ethnic area. So first off of uh, language barrier. So most of the uh, ethnic uh, population, they cannot uh, properly speak Burmese and they do not know which battalion, which uh, uh, military units uh, operate in their area. They know this is a Burmese uh, military terminal, but they cannot man mention exactly uh, what is the uh, uh, military units uh, operate in their area, in, in, in village. Uh, but uh, we have some information about uh, military uh, operation in uh, area where they operate, uh, like kind of uh, military echelon. So basically the, uh, the military uh, base in the military command base in uh, each of the state and region. So we have uh, such kind of information from the uh, CSO and some uh, military observation groups. So then well, we can uh, uh, reference such kind of information and then we uh, realize uh, which kind, uh, which military unit operate in uh, a particular area. Uh, for, for the uh, complaint mechanism, yeah, it's uh, too much dangerous for the uh, victims or their family complaint to the uh, commander of the uh, uh, units operate in their area. Sometimes uh, they commit crimes uh, in, in the re uh, region. So in this uh, situation, uh, we encourage the uh, victims and their family to comply to the uh, Yama National Human Rights Commission. Uh, Sometimes we also uh, send a complaint letter to the Myanmar uh, National Human Rights Commission. Actually, uh, MNHI is not an uh, independent organization, so they don't have capacity and authority to investigate such kind of case. We complain to them. So we always keep the information in our database for someday when we have a uh, uh, reliable uh, uh, judicial system in the country or the uh, international uh, judicial system or the uh, regional system, uh, we will use our information for seeking the uh, uh, justice for the victims of numerous violation and the uh, perpetrator accountability. So according to our uh, documentation uh, experience, the victims never see the justice uh, for their seeking and the perpetrator accountability because the military enjoy the uh, institutionalized impunity and also according to the uh, 2008 constitution, so they enjoy a lot of uh, impunity from the uh, uh, constitution and also the uh, other oppressive law. So in your experience, does the military ever do 
any real investigation of its own crimes? Have they ever accepted allegations? Have, have they ever launched a legal proceeding against soldiers who have been accused of these crimes? Have they, have they ever attempted to cooperate and investigate? Or do they always uh, reject the, the allegations? Uh, Sometimes some uh, cases are well known because of the, uh, the media report and the NGO report, they try to investigate within the uh, military code, uh, not in the uh, civilian codes. Mm. So we don't know about transparency. And also sometimes they uh, punish low rank soldiers for uh, the low uh, sentences, like uh, two years in prison, three years in prison. Mm. But actually after uh, the six men or five, uh, ten months later. So those soldiers uh, get the am amnesty from the uh, uh, military and then they all are released. So many cases, so they uh, bring the military code, not in the civilian code. So we don't know about the uh, transparency of uh, proceeding process. Even they sentence low rank soldiers, uh, later they release another uh, uh, amnesty. Wow. But so sentencing or investigating an officer is not something that, that they would do? Yeah. Wow. And so, okay, so let's, so let's talk about the report. So you said the report was released in 2018. Uh, this is during the NLD period. Uh, yeah. So what were the, the findings of that report? What were the recommendations? So recomm uh, recommendation based on the, uh, the vision desire. So we uh, recommend like kind of uh, uh, institutional reform for guarantee of non-recurrence because most of the victims, they don't want to suffer uh, repeat again and again. And also they suggest uh, they don't want other uh, population uh, experience like them in the future. So kind of uh, institutional reform and also the symbolic uh, certification, like uh, victim needs some kind of apologies and acknowledge from the uh, perpetrators and also some victims they want to receive the remains of uh, their loved one to to be a uh, uh, funeral according to their religious or their culture and some the uh, victims uh, they want compensation to help them overcome the uh, negative consequence of humorous violation and also restitution, like uh, the land grab victims, they went back their land uh, before the uh, the situation, humorous violation took place. And some political prisoner, uh, they went back their uh, professional license, like a uh, uh, lawyer license, uh, medical doctor license, and also some uh, political prisoner in exile, uh, they want back their citizenships. 
So based on their desire, we recommend like uh, institutional reform, like symbolic satisfaction, and the compensation restitution. Yeah, that's all. Okay, so it's still quite a lot that that needs to be needs to be done. So let's let's talk about that that subsequent period. Uh, so after two thousand eighteen, we start moving forward. We go into 2020, we obviously have, even even in late 2019, we started having rumors of COVID-19 spreading. Back then, we called it the Wuhan flu. Uh, and early 2019, it starts getting more and more, sorry, 2020, it starts getting more and more serious. And so most of 2020, uh, the government is, is focusing on COVID-19. And then, of course, February 2021, we have the military coup. So between the 2018 report and that uh, the 2021 coup, um, let's let let's talk about the advocacy that you were uh, that you were doing in in Nepidor. What was going on after this report was published? Yeah, the, as I mentioned before, firstly, uh, we explain about the. Uh, why we are working on the reparations. So if the government uh, implements reparation projects, so that will be uh, a support for the uh, national reconciliation process and the uh, health for the uh, victims of human rights violation for rebuild their life. So for, uh, when we advocate to the members, parliaments, and government officials. We also uh, invite some expertise from other countries to share uh, what is the process of operation in their uh, countries, like the Philippines and other countries. So the uh, most of the MPs from the various parties, so they are interested in the operation uh, project and they are willing to work on this issue. But the problem is, so we need to, uh, we need them to understand more about reparations in other countries, and they need to uh, prepare the bill in line with the uh, uh, country context, country situation. So why we and they are trying to uh, working together so such kind of obligation we face like a COVID and the the military coup so that's why we cannot continue they cannot continue mm. situation like like a limbo absolutely and and we're going to talk about the coup in a second but i just want to go back and, and recover the significance of of what we're doing in your opinion is it possible for Myanmar to transition to genuine peace and stability? And, and under the NUG, we've heard a lot this phrase, um, federal democracy, federal democracy. Is a federal democratic system possible without a, a reconciliation process? You've mentioned the truth and reconciliation. Um, truth and reconciliation is something that we've seen used very effectively in South Africa following apartheid. Uh, it's something that we've seen used very effectively in Rwanda following the genocide. 
something that we're seeing used very effectively in Liberia following the civil war. Definitely in many other countries, uh, truth and reconciliation commissions and committees and groups um, have had significant success. But is it possible for Myanmar to to transition to federal democracy and to transition to a a stable pluricentric country without this um, re- uh, reconciliation and compensation process? Yeah, that's why when the national unity government established and the NUCC established, uh, we tried to engage with them to work on the uh, transition justice issue. Uh, Firstly, uh, even though we cannot continue policy advocacy about reparation uh, due to pandemic and the effect, uh, we successfully conduct one transition justice seminar for the uh, National Unity Consultative Council and UCC and the uh, National Unity Government of Myanmar NUG in December 2021. Uh, we invite International Center for Transitional Justice uh, to facilitate the workshop focused on how transitional justice measure can be incorporated or even currently in a constitution. As in this workshop, the uh, expertise from South Africa, Philippines, and Chile, they explain about uh, when they uh, prepare the uh, drafting constitution in their countries. So this is the first stage to uh, introduce <clears throat> transition justice issue to the new stakeholder. No? Now, they, they are learning a lot, humorous uh, advocacy and also working a transition justice issue and also the uh, within the drafting of federal democratic of new uh, constitution, uh, how they can be incorporated that the transition justice issue. So now the, the, the process is still ongoing. Huh? Mm. Absolutely. So now let's uh, let's finally move ahead to to the current situation. So obviously, a lot of the work that you were doing has been cut short by the military coup. And since 2021, now we're coming up to the second anniversary. In a few days, we will mark the second anniversary. Um, we're, we're doing this in January 2023 uh, of the coup, and we've seen a terrible death toll. And and phenomenal loss of life and property. Can you can you talk to us about, in terms of, you know, what you research and what you deal with? What is the toll? What is the level of loss that the country and the people have faced since February first, two thousand twenty-one? Now, two years after the military attempted coup against the democratically elected government. Uh, collapse all areas such as social, political, and economic rights, uh, mass humorous violations by hundred troops, uh, thousands of civilians are killed, detained, hundreds of thousands of civilians are as IDVs uh, without essential needs. Uh, as our member documentation show, uh, after two years of faith coup, almost 3,000 killed, 
over 70,000 arrests, over 13,000 state detained, uh, uh, staggering further 1.2 million people have been internally displaced, and over 70,000 have left the country. Uh, also, credible information indicates that over 34,000 civilian structures, including homes, clinics, school, and uh, place of worship, have been banned over the past two years, especially the Gai region, uh, Chin states, Kourini states. Uh, in year 2020 alone, over 2,000 humorous violations uh, committed by military Honda across the country. So that's all uh, based on our assessment, our documentation, and other reliable sources. So now let's put that in terms of uh, reparations. So this this is this is huge. I mean, for certain communities near the borders, certain ethnic minority communities who have been facing repeated repression for years and years and years and years. Um, this might not be very new for them, but for a lot of communities in Myanmar, and I think particularly for communities in Sagai and Mugwe, um, this is this is a new level of military abuse, of as you say, arson against their properties. We saw in Chin State they destroyed food stores to starve the people. Um, we've seen you know schools and churches blown up. Um, how is reparation even possible? Is is there any mechanism that will allow compensation for these victims? Like, it, has it gone too far for reparation, or is there still a chance to to achieve something? Uh, right now, uh, when we talk about reparation, uh, we can we would say. Uh, urgent need of reparations and uh, long-term reparation. So right now, even uh, we don't have uh, any kind of transitional me mechanism uh, to deal with the uh, victims of humorous violation. We, we cannot uh, provide reparation through the any transitional justice mechanism. But uh, right now we can do like gender cease all violence and to allow humanitarian access as Security Council res resolution that uh, demand an immediate end to the violence, among other urgent steps. So the further of gender need to allow humanitarian access uh, to the population who needs, who urgently needs the um, uh, humanitarian assistance. So that, that is our first step. So when we have genuine transition period or some kind of transition adjusting mechanism, uh, definitely uh, we have to work on reparations with the other transition adjusted uh, components. So that's why uh, even we don't have transition period, we are working on the documentation for many years for those uh, victims and survivors 
who suffer a lot in the past to uh, support uh, in the future for their uh, justice reparations and uh, any other uh, uh, transition mechanism what they would like to see or receive. And is there any collaboration with uh, the the NUG, the NUCC, the CRPH? Do you do you see them as useful partners in trying to find a way to towards reparation, or do you prefer to work independently uh, of these groups? So we uh, prefer working independently, but uh, at the same time, as we did. Uh, and other uh, and other governments, we try to advocate the government's uh, implement reparation program for victims of human rights violation. And also, right now, we, when we see the new stakeholder, uh, we try to uh, advocate advocate them to work uh, when the transition period. So they have to uh, deal with past. Uh, including our operation program. Uh, as far as uh, I understand, when the uh, operation program uh, implements by the uh, government, uh, government uh, need to assess like documentation, establish the kind of truth and reconciliation commission uh, based on the uh, uh, recommendation of and finding of the uh, truth and rec- recommendation, the uh, government implement the reparation policy or reparation uh, project. Uh, right now, the uh, the new stakeholder, so they are uh, kind of the uh, transition government. So, but uh, they need to uh, make a reliable policy for reparations or, or the uh, transition adjusted policy. Uh, that would be good for the uh, future um, implementation. Right now, they cannot uh, uh, practically work on any kind of uh, transition adjusted issue. Huh? Mm. And so looking more internationally, do you think that there is a possibility to to take this issue to an international uh, footing? Obviously, we have the ICJ case um, between Myanmar and the Gambia on behalf of Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you think there's any any possibility of moving some of this to, for example, the International Criminal Court, or is that too difficult to organize? Yeah, right now we see uh, um, some opportunity for the uh, accountability issue, like uh, you said, ICJ, ICC, and also some uh, countries start to in- initiate using the uh, universal jurisdiction, like. Uh, Argentina, Turkey, and recently we uh, we saw the uh, news that the International Human Rights uh, Organization by Fortifying Rights uh, submit sued the case in the uh, Germany for the, the military regime. Uh, like uh, uh, in Southeast Asia, the Indonesia start to prepare uh, using universal jurisdiction. So we have some uh, opportunity to uh, work on the uh, the, the uh, accountability issues, including the uh, 
UN WIWR. So we have a chance to work with such kind of Indonesian uh, code, Indonesian venue, and also Indonesian uh, accountability mechanism. Uh, that is somehow good for us. So that, that's quite a, a robust overview of of what you're working on. So at this point uh, in the interview, as, as is our tradition, I would just like to invite you to leave our audience with, uh, with a thought or with a, a piece of information for them to consider over the course of their day, something that you would like them to take away uh, from our discussion here today. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, so we are closely working with the, any the Indonesian uh, accountability mechanism, uh, including UN agency for accountability, uh, holding public trade account, accountability for uh, Myanmar, because the, currently, we are now the, the uh, domestic uh, jurisdiction system is uh, totally collapsed. We cannot rely on the uh, domestic uh, uh, legal and jurisdiction system. We rely on the uh, international uh, accountability mechanism and code. So that's why we always closely working with them and the share the information to them. For whatever reason, even as the conflict in Myanmar continues to worsen, it somehow continues to be shut out of the Western media news cycle. And even when the foreign media does report on the conflict, it's often presented as a reductionist, simplistic caricature that inhibits a more thorough understanding of the situation. In contrast, our podcast platform endeavors to portray a much more authentic, detailed, and dynamic reality of the country and its people, one that nurtures deeper understanding and nuanced appreciation. Not only do we ensure that a broad cross-section of ideas and perspectives from Burmese guests regularly appear on our platform, but we also try to bring in foreign experts, scholars, and allies who can share from their experience as well. But we can't continue to produce at this consistency and at the level of quality we aim for without your help. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person, IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, military defection campaigns, undercover journalists, refugee camps, monasteries and nunneries, education initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. 
In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, ba, yaranan da, da, yaranan, da, yaranan, yada, yaranan, boda, ba, yaranan, no.